Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad to see each of you. My name is Kyle, and we're so glad that you're at Holland Chapel. And man, it's just a joy to be together. It's good to be at church, isn't it? It feels good to be together and to worship together. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you guys are the 1045 crew. I tell you what, 9 o'clock is on the verge of catching up with you guys. They are packing it out, so you guys better stay busy. Here's what I'll give you. Like, y'all present the problem of not having enough space. We'll figure out how to fix it. Just keep inviting your friends, keep inviting your family, and it's going to be a good, good time. Well, we are in week four, the last week of our series called Those People, and today we are going to talk about critical people, people who nitpick, uh, people who just wear us out with criticizing anybody and everybody. So by show of hands, how many of you, by chance, have to deal with someone who is very critical? Go ahead and show it right there, all right? Cool. Some of you are like, I hate it when you ask these stupid questions in church. We're talking to you today. Uh, this one's for you. Um. So I want to remind us of what we have been saying over and over again throughout this series, and that is at some point in time, we all find ourselves being one of those people, whether it's overly needy, uh, whether it's hypocritical or critical as we're talking about today, uh, we find ourselves being one of, those good pe one of those people. And so I want to give you some good news and there's these two huge reminders. First of all, that God loves those people. So if you're dealing with somebody right now that's just, you know, really on your nerves or just a hypercritical person like we're going to talk about today, you need to remember God loves those people. If you find yourself being a critical person, you need to be reminded God loves you as well. And the second truth that's just on the same level of this of just hugeness is that Jesus died for those people. Okay, he made the payment for their sin, for your sin, for my sin, so that we can be made right with God. So today, let's talk about critical people just a little bit and how we can deal with them. First, let me present this question, like, who criticizes? Okay, who do we find uh, that's critical in our world, in our lives, in our families, in our friends, and our groups of people that we, we do life with? Well, first of all, it's people, and I would say it's people who care. Okay, people who care. And here's the things they care about. People who criticize are people who care about you. You have some people in your life who love you, they are for you, they are with you, and they are going to criticize you because they want to help you. We would call this constructive criticism, building you up, helping you become everything that God intended for you to be. There's also people who criticize because they care about the cause or the organization. It's the reason why on Saturdays you get all ramped up when that game's on because you care about the cause, you care about the organization, and you give your opinion. You probably give way too many opinions because, you know, anyway, but you care, and so you're in it, and so you're speaking into it, and you're critical because you care. And there's this third, and this is a dangerous place to be, but it's where a lot of people are. Some people criticize because they only care about themselves. Okay? They are willing to tell anybody anything at any time because they think their opinion matters more than anybody else's. They think they're always right. They think that their preferences ought to trump others, and it's a very, very dangerous place to be. Next question for us to kind of think about is, who gets criticized? Who gets criticized? Well, old philosopher Aristotle, I think it said it pretty well. Here's what he said. Criticism is something you can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. 
In other words, if you can go find you a hole to crawl in and be around nobody and attempt nothing, you might, might just avoid criticism. Well, I want us to check out Acts chapter 20 this morning. We're going to look at quite a few passages of Scripture this morning. So uh, just letting you know ahead of time. So we'll be looking at quite a few. They'll be on the screen for you. Of course, we encourage you to open your Bibles. A lot of you use Bible apps on your phone, and that's totally great. We want you looking at the Word of God. Uh, You can find a Bible under the seat in front of you as well. We're going to begin in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7. Um, The church as we know it has just recently gotten going in the book of Acts, and things are starting to happen uh, at a rapid pace. Paul and his team of of church planters and missionaries are going around the world planting churches and visiting churches. In Acts chapter 20, we find them making a visit to one of these churches that they've planted. Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. It says, On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. And I want to pause right there and just uh, say last week we got to do that as a body of believers. We got to partake in the Lord's Supper. We got to take the cup and the bread. And we got to remember together the body and the blood of Jesus. And isn't it just a sweet, powerful moment to get together with other believers and to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that's what they're doing in Acts chapter 20. It goes on to say, Paul was preaching to them. So the writer, Luke, is telling the story. He says, Paul was preaching to them. So something similar to what we got going on this morning. There was a group of people probably sitting down, probably not a room this big. Don't know if they were in a house or where they were, but they were gathered. Paul was in front of them, standing or sitting, and he was teaching and he was preaching. Okay, So similar context of what we have this morning. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, listen to this, he kept talking until midnight. It doesn't say noon. It says midnight. I mean, the guy was long-winded, and he's about to leave, so he's trying to get in every bit of information and encouragement and teaching and gospel that he possibly can. Look on to verse number 8. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. So at some point, they had to go up, and they're up there. Verse 9. As Paul spoke, I love this, on and on, could Luke, the writer, have just a little bit of criticism, just a little bit there, towards Paul who was preaching, and he says he went on and on. It goes on to say, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep. He dropped three stories to his death below. Whoa. Verse 10. Paul went down, bent over him, took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said, he's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared the Lord's Supper, and ate together. That was a memorable Lord's Supper, wasn't it? Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home unhurt, and everyone was greatly relieved. So, I read this story to you for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because it's talking about preaching, and obviously I preach. I'm not making this up. We came in for the 9 o'clock this morning, and Mr. Bill sits right back over there in the 9 o'clock. He's a hilarious dude. If you ever want to joke, if you ever want to laugh, if you just want to have a good time, find Mr. Bill and hang out with Mr. Bill. So some people were asking me about him this morning because he didn't come in as early as he normally does. He gets here really, really early. And somebody like, man, where's Mr. Bill? So he came in. I said, man, people are missing you. You're kind of running late this morning. And he said, well, he has no idea that any of this. He says, well, he said, I was listening to Dr. Stanley on the television, and I fell asleep. And he said, I woke up, and I realized I was going to be later than normal, and I got here. And he said, don't worry. He said, I'm going to finish my nap when you start preaching. He actually said that to me this morning. 
He had no idea I was going to read this passage of Scripture. He had no idea. Absolutely hilarious. So as far as I know, um, no one has ever fallen out of a window and died when I've preached. I'm assuming some people have fallen asleep. Hopefully none of you will fall asleep today. So if you'll nudge your neighbor right now and make sure they're awake, that'll be helpful. But I read this story to you because it's, it's serious, but it's also somewhat funny. And the reason why I read it to you is because what I do publicly a lot is I preach and I lead. So guess what I get criticized the most about? Preaching and leadership. Whatever you do that other people can see that you are trying to do the best that you possibly can do is what you're probably going to be criticized most for. People are going to notice you when you stand up and do anything. They're going to notice when you are trying to accomplish any kind of goal. They're going to notice you parents. They're going to notice you. You know, you go to Walmart, and you know everybody's looking at your parenting, right, because your kids are going crazy, at least mine do. You know, and you know people are critical over there. You're trying to raise some little human beings, right? You're trying. And so people are critical. There's all kinds of things that you're doing in your life, and people notice it, and they just naturally, sometimes, not in a healthy way, find themselves being critical of you. Well, there's that story in the Scripture criticism. There's a bunch more, and we're going to look at a few of them. But the greatest example that really encourages me is that Jesus, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one whom we believe in as the God of the universe, taking on human flesh and living here among us. And in that, we believe with all of our hearts and with all of our being that he was perfect, that he didn't sin, that he didn't do anything wrong. And Jesus, if you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is criticized all the time, especially by the religious leaders. So I'm thinking if Jesus, who was perfect, was criticized... You and I, who are terribly imperfect, can definitely expect some imperfection. I mean, some some criticism. And so, just know that if you are living and you are breathing, you are going to be criticized. So, what does criticism look like? How do we deal with it? How do we navigate it going forward? Because sometimes you're criticized if you do. Sometimes you're criticized if you don't. Uh, Sometimes it comes from our friends. Sometimes it comes from our family. Sometimes it comes from our enemies. Sometimes it comes from people we don't even know. And the things that people will criticize about, criticize about, there's just really no limit to it. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've been following Jesus any time at all or you continue to follow Jesus, let me just tell you, some people are going to criticize you for being a follower of Jesus. Some people are going to criticize you for your Christianity. You're going to make some choices, some decisions. You're going to choose not to do some things and to do some things because of Jesus. And people are going to criticize you for it. It's just going to happen. Um, You are going to find people in your circle criticizing you for how you spend your money or how you don't spend your money. That's what my kids criticize me for all the time. Dad, you don't spend your money on this. And Dad, you could spend your money on that. And I'm like, too bad, so sad. But anyway, that criticism doesn't really take root for me. Um, I mentioned it earlier, you're going to be criticizing how you raise your kids. Moms in the room, whoo, criticism comes your way, doesn't it? Some of you are stay-at-home moms, and you hear criticism from other people, saying, why are you wasting your life away, staying at home with those kids all day long? Why aren't you doing something that matters? What a terrible, terrible thing to say, but you have to be the brunt of it. Then on the flip side of it, some of you moms are working moms, and some people come along and tell you, I can't believe that you're not at home every day, all day long with your kids raising them. It's like you can't win, right? Like criticism just comes our way all the time. 
Whether you pick for your kids to go to public school or Christian school or homeschool, people will criticize you. They'll nitpick, especially we think about in the home. Woo, it gets fun, doesn't it? How you chew your food, the way you talk, the way you load the dishwasher. Um, this one came up while we were talking in our, our meeting this week, getting ready. Someone made mention that when you choose to start the dishwasher can be a high point of criticism in a certain home. It also would seem that how toothpaste is dispensed uh, may lead to some marriage counseling amongst one of our team members. And I'll just go ahead and throw this out there. Toilet, toilet paper should go over, not under. I'm just putting that out there. I'm just saying that. Sometimes it's criticism. Sometimes it's gospel truth. You know what I'm saying? We all know what that one is. That one's gospel truth right there. Maybe in your home or in people that you're tight with, um, married to, related to, whatever, uh, maybe some of these words get thrown around, uh, you always, and then fill in the blank. Those are strong words, you always, right? Or this one, you never, and then they fill in the blank. Really, it's always? Never? And that criticism cuts to our soul sometimes when people go that harsh. Um, Sometimes people that we know and that we care a lot about will consistently criticize us because of our past. I mean, bring up things that happened sometimes 15, 20 years ago and try to use it against us. It's like, man, wow. Uh, for some of you that are single in the room, like, uh, you know, you're not married and, and people find out how old you are and they make comments like, my goodness, you're not married? It's just like, listen, if you're single... I was like 27 when my wife and I got married, and so I was single for quite a few years in adulthood. I was doing what I'm doing now, so people noticed me a lot. And it was amazing the comments would, people would make to me, like about me not being married. I'm like, I can't marry a fence post. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's got to be a human being involved. And it's got to be more than a human being. It's got to be another woman. And on top of that, it needs to be a woman that God gives me. Are you with me? So if you're single right now and people are making stupid comments to you about being single and God hasn't brought the person before you yet, just forget what they're saying and you keep being who you're supposed to be and let God bring who he wants to bring in your life. Like, just forget that junk. It's just amazing what people say. Or if you're newly married, you know, you've been married a few years and people find out you're married and they find out you don't have kids and like, why don't you have any kids yet? Thanks a lot. We really appreciate your criticism into our marriage right now. Thank you, right? They have no idea what's going on in your world. They have no idea why you do or don't have kids. Or the other is the flip side of this. You do have kids. You have several kids. And people say, why do you have so many kids? I can answer that one really, really quick. God is good. Maybe you're talking to another believer, and they find out where you go to church, and they make a comment like, oh, you go to that church, right? Like, man, some of this stuff is funny, but none of it's fun, right? It's just not fun to experience, especially negative, mean criticism. So what I want to just help you focus in on this morning, and we're going to talk about several things. We're going to give you some prayers to pray as we think about how to deal with criticism I just want to help you to realize and to remember, okay, what God thinks of you. And the big idea you're going to put in your notes, it's going to come on the screen there for you, is this. Becoming obsessed with what others think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. 
you become obsessed with what other people think about you, you are like on the freeway to forgetting what God thinks about you. And at the end of the day, ultimately, what God thinks about you is all that matters. He is the one that one day you will stand before, and they will too, and he will be the judge, and what he thinks about you matters. And oh, what he thinks about us is so absolutely incredible. And criticism, it's just a, it's just a reality of life, though, that we deal with with others. So two types of criticism I'll give you. One we know as, um, you know, this, this constructive criticism. And the other one, I don't know if I've come up with this or not, but it's what I call it. I call it deconstructive criticism um, and or unjust criticism. Okay, so constructive criticism is this idea of I love you, I'm for you, I want to speak life into you, I want to encourage you, and I'm always going to do it to your face. Okay? Deconstructive and or unjust criticism comes from people who don't care about us, who want to discourage us, who are critical about everything all the time because they just have a critical spirit. We'll talk more about this unjust or deconstructive criticism in just a moment. But I want to I stop for a moment and talk about constructive criticism because I think it's very important that we don't just um, dismiss and, and get rid of criticism because criticism can be really, really helpful for you. Check out Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. And, man, there's so much wisdom. We're going to look at a couple of different verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 15, look at verse 31. It says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. That sounds like a pretty good place to call home, right? Sounds like a pretty cool group to be hanging out with, the wise. If you listen to it, that word listen is so very, very important to listen, to receive it, to adjust what we're doing based on what we're hearing when it comes to constructive criticism. Verse 32 if you reject discipline, and a lot of times we think about discipline, the only way we think about that is like this corrective form of punishment that comes our way. And really discipline is so much more than that. And in fact, in this one, we're really talking about this training that comes consistent over time by making wise choices and doing the same good thing over and over again. This discipline, if you reject discipline, if you reject constructive criticism, you only harm who? Yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. And I want to grow. I think you want to grow. And so I have to put myself in the place to receive constructive criticism. Um, every single Sunday between the 9 o'clock and the 1045, at least two people on our team, I get with them and I say, tell me two things that I can improve between what I preached in the 9 o'clock and the 1045. Just two things. And a lot of times they'll say things to me like, man, you just kind of you kind of went over there and it just really didn't, it didn't hit. Like you could probably leave that out. And what I hear is that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Don't ever say that again because that's what they really meant. But they did it nice and I appreciate them doing it nice. But like I hear them, it's clear. But I know they love me and they're for me and they can tell, they can tell me it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'll receive that because I know they're for me. All right? And then they'll say things like, man, you kind of got on this over here. Man, if you talk about that more, that would be really, really good. Well, I want to grow. Why do I want to grow? So I can impress you more? No, I want to impart the truth of the gospel more into people's lives. Okay? It's Monday mornings, we get together as a whole team, and we have a Sunday review that we go through, and we speak into every area of what we do here as a church, as leaders, and we speak into each other's lives, like where we can improve, where we did well, what to never do again. And because we want to improve, we want to grow. My mom, who loves me and who is for me, 
When I was young, preaching, um, 17 years old, uh, my first sermon was seven minutes. And some of you are like, man, that sounds really, really good. Um, it was seven minutes. But let me tell you what I did. In seven minutes, I preached a 38-minute sermon. That's what I did. And my mom kept listening to me preach, and she's like, son, you got to slow down. You talk too fast. People can't understand what you're saying. Is she trying to tear me down? No, like my mom wants me to go on and grow. She wants what I'm doing with my life to matter for people. She knows that what I'm saying is truth and that it's gospel and it can radically change people's lives. And they can't hear it, can't understand it. It doesn't matter. And so I took her and I started slowing down. I started thinking through how I was going to say it and how it was going to be received. Listen, we should want to grow, but you've got to listen to constructive criticism. You need to listen to your spouse. You need to listen to your parents. You need to listen to your kids. You need to listen to your boss. You need to listen to your HC group, working on the assumption these people love you and they're for you. Now let's talk a little bit about unjust criticism or deconstructive criticism. How do we deal with that? So we need to listen to and receive constructive criticism. What do we do with, with just unjust, unnecessary criticism in our life. Well, let's give you three ways that you can pray through criticism. Number one, number one, God help me to know how to respond to criticism. Very important we're using the word respond here, not react. Our knee-jerk natural reaction is to react to criticism. We don't need to react to it. We need to respond to it. Normally, reaction for me looks like thoughtless. Reaction for me looks like knee-jerk. Reaction for me looks like Spirit of God having nothing to do with it. Responding looks way more like I've thought, I've processed, I've prayed. The Spirit of God's got something to do with what I'm about to say in response to what has been said to me. And I'll just go ahead and throw this out there. Man, like, Social media is not the place to display your criticism. And all God's people said, all right, so I'm going to be watching. All right. Um, And it's not the place to respond to criticism either. If you make $14 million a year and you play in the NFL, put all your stuff on the street. Just go for it. Get your little Twitter thing going and you just go for it. Be a moron. Go for it. That's great. For the rest of us, let's act like followers of Jesus Okay, and let's go to people in person, whether it be for the criticism or to respond to the criticism, and let's deal with it in a much more biblical manner. So just throwing these things down there. You might want to write this stuff down. It's not going to come on the screen, but don't try to solve your private problems on a public forum. Okay, don't try to solve your private problems on a public forum. Okay, always face-to-face, always with prayer, always with grace. Always with truth. I'll say that again. Always face to face. Always with prayer. Always with grace. Always with truth. Look at Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. Another Old Testament, like, man, incredible story here. Um, There's just so much that happens in the Old Testament that we can learn from. And in Judges chapter 8, we've got what we know as a Bible hero named Gideon. And if you don't know the story of Gideon, it's just absolutely incredible. I encourage you to go read about him. Just incredible stuff God's using him for as a leader. And so he's leading, and there's a lot of war that's going on. There's a lot of um, things that are happening in, in that regard. And Gideon is a leader in that. And uh, notice what happens here in J- Judges chapter 8. It says, And the people of Ephraim, and I'll stop real quick, the people of Ephraim were with him. They battled with him. They were on the same team, okay? It says, The people of Ephraim asked Gideon, Why have you treated us this way? 
Why didn't you send for us when you first went out to fight the Midianites? And they argued heatedly with Gideon. Some translations literally say that they criticized him heavily. So they're criticizing, like, we're with you. Why didn't you take us with us? Why'd you leave us out? We care about this organization. We care about your cause. We're with you. Why did you leave us out? So some serious criticism coming his way. It had been really easy for Gideon to react in this moment, but he replies, he responds. Look at verse number 2. But Gideon replied, what have I accomplished compared to you? So he flips it, and he tells them how wonderful they are. He's not like trying to like, you know, flatter them. He's telling them the truth. Why have I accomplished, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't even the leftover grapes of Ephraim's, the people he's talking to, harvest better than the entire crop of my little clan, Abiezer? God gave you victory over Oreb and Zeb, the commanders of the Midianite army. What have I accomplished compared to that? Hey, guys, you're part of the team. Hey, guys, I did my little role over here. You did this other thing that was even bigger than what I did. Listen, you're totally part of the team. I wasn't leaving you out. I was just taking care of this, and you're taking care of that. And look what it says in the last part of the verse. When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. So in other words, he responded to them. He spoke to them with prayer and with the Spirit of God and with grace and with truth. And the whole thing was subsided. Again, be very, very careful about responding uh, or reacting, I should say, in anger. It normally makes things escalate when you do it in anger. Um, it's interesting, these guys and judges kind of, I think, reveal something about uh, when we are critical. Um, I think a lot of times when we're critical of other people, a lot of times what we're seeking is actually approval of ourselves. Like there, there's this, this thing like, okay, I don't think you're doing it very well, but I'd like to know I'm doing it well. And I think that's what's going on this moment. Like are we left out? Do we not matter? Do, do you not care about us? And, and he was quick to say, no, what? You do. And so be very careful about what you're needing in that. And two common factors of a critical person, okay, two common factors. One is immaturity, okay, immaturity. The other one's insecurity. You just don't know who you are in Jesus. Some people who just go around criticizing all the time, it's to deflect the attention off of themselves onto someone else so that they can hopefully make people think better of them and more importantly for them to feel better about themselves. If you're bad and I'm not as bad as you are, that makes me feel better. So be really, really careful. And so we got to know who we are and what God thinks about us and understand that. Number two, God help me to know when to dismiss criticism. Like to dismiss it. Like there are times that we need to hear and listen to constructive criticism. There are times that we need to listen to criticism in general. But there are times when I think we absolutely just flat out need to Dismiss it. If several people that you know who love you and afford you are saying the same thing to you, you better listen. If you've got a couple people who don't like you and they're opposed to you and they're opposed to your cause and they are constant criticizers of other people, it is very likely that what you need to do, if the Spirit of God makes this clear to you, that you just absolutely need to dismiss what they are saying and not even listen to them. Um, if they have a proven critical spirit... Okay, proven. How do you know they have a proven critical spirit? Let me tell you how you know they have a proven critical spirit. They haven't said anything positive since the first release of Lion King. They have a proven critical spirit. They're not for anybody except for themselves. Look at um, 
Another Old Testament passage really quick in um, the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. Just incredible stuff here. When these people come at you and they're trying to get you off track and they're just wanting to debate you and they're wanting to stymie you and they're wanting to stop you and they're wanting to just thwart everything that's going around you and hurt you or hurt your cause. Look at Nehemiah uh, chapter 6. Incredible story of leadership. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 6. Three guys are mentioned in verse number 1. Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. These three guys, if you read the story, they are proven critical spirits. They are against Nehemiah, God's leader. They are against his cause. They are trying to stop it and anything they can do. There was a lot to lose for them if Nehemiah was successful for his country. So Nehemiah has been called by God to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Everything was totally in a mess in the city. He's rebuilt the walls, and they're freaking out. And look what it says. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I, Nehemiah, had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So if you build a wall around anything, or you build a house for that matter, and you don't have any doors on it, what can people do? They can just steal what? Come in. So it's almost done. They're feeling it. They're like, man, everything that we have really had going here is about to fall apart on us. If he puts those gates up, it's over. Like this whole plan we had, all of our domination's over. And so they're trying to stop him. Look at verse number 2. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me, Nehemiah, to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Anytime somebody asks you to meet at a place called Ono, probably not a good idea. Tell me the Bible doesn't have some funny stuff in it. You can't make that up. Look what it goes on to say, but I realized. So Nehemiah is like thinking this through. And he's like, God, what's up here? You called me to lead. These guys are coming at me. They want to meet with me in the plain of, oh, no. And what should I do? It says, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. And there are people out there who will plot to harm you. There are people out there that will say things just to disparage you, discourage you, and destroy you. There are people out there who hate you, who don't even know you. There are people out there who hate your cause, who hate your organization, and they will say anything, do anything to bring about harm. And I realized they were plotting to harm me. Verse 3, so I reply by sending this message to them. Notice he doesn't go to the valley of, oh, no. He just dismisses it by saying, here, take this to them. So I reply by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? <laughs> I love that. He's like, I don't have time for you. You are a waste of, you're wasting my time. Like you're against me. I know you're against me. It doesn't really matter what you have to say. I've got a calling from God. I'm dismissing your criticism. If you've ever wondered where Miss Swift got her inspiration for Shake It Off, here you go. Right here. This is it. I think she was reading Nehemiah chapter 6. Like sometimes you just got to decide, you know what? I can't listen to it. I don't have time for it. Look on at verse number five, uh, verse number four. Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. Some of you are doing a great work, and you don't need to listen, don't need to spend any time with these people that are trying to drag you down. Verse five, the fifth time. Criticism just keeps coming. You would think when you say, I don't have time for you, would stop. Critics just keep coming. Know that. They're going to keep coming. You have to stay focused. Drop down to verse number 9. Verse number 9, Nehemiah kind of gathers up the group. And he says, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. 
Let your haters push you to do more. Just let them push you to stay focused more than ever on what God has given you to do, whether it's parenting, whether it's marriage, whether it's work, whatever he has given you to do, a calling, a mission, go do it and do it with everything that you've got. And if people are against you and they're not for you, don't even take the time to meet them in the valley of oh no. All right? Again, being obsessed with what others think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. Stay focused. Look at number three, this prayer. God help me to overcome my own critical nature. You knew we'd get there, right? Help me to overcome my own critical nature. I want us to look again at Proverbs. And it's kind of funny as I'm turning to Proverbs because I had no idea I was going to go long today. I went long in the first. It looks like I'm going long in the second. For most of you, you don't care. You don't have anywhere to be. But the people wearing red shirts that are serving in kids' ministry right now, they're like, when is he going to be done? I preach about Paul going to midnight. Just when you go over there to say, hey, at least it's not midnight. It's noon, but it's not midnight, all right? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Some people, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the, say it with me, wise, the words of the wise listen others. Oh, I dropped up to verse 15. Let me drop back to verse 18. The words of the wise. Two verses say the words of the wise. Verse 18, but the words of the wise bring healing. That's what I wanted to read, bring healing. Uh, what kind of remarks do you make? Are they, are they cutting or are they kind? Do you always have more insight and wisdom than the next guy? Do you have to share your opinion all the time? Are you critical of people who don't live up to your standards and expectations? Are you always pointing out how unchristian people are? Are you so insecure that you have to point out the faults of others, especially other Christians? And we haven't even moved into talking about politics and sports, right? And we just cutting remarks. But a wise person, it says, the words of the wise will bring what? Healing. I'll just tell you this. A critical life is a miserable life. And some of you right now are in misery because of one of two things. Either someone has been criticizing you over and over and over and over again and you're hurt by it. And it's, it's just it's something you're wrestling with and it's pain. It's real. Some of you are hurting in your soul and it's because you are so critical. It's a very miserable place to live. And eventually, soon enough, it will be a lonely place to live. It says here again, the words of the wise bring healing. Are your words bringing healing? Are they an encouragement, grace, hope, and help? Look at Romans 14. This is the last passage I want to point out to you. Romans 14. It's incredible what God's word has to say about all this. And there's so much more. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse number 10. Romans 14 and verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Now, listen, criticisms being spoken of here, uh, comparisons being spoken of here, thinking better of yourself than someone else because you have more than they do or you eat better than they do. There's all kinds of things going on here. 
And he's just reminding, like, why, do, why are you doing that? Why are you condemning another believer? Why, why do you think you're worth more to Jesus than they are? Last time I checked, Jesus paid the same price for me on the cross <laughs> that he paid for you, right? He paid the same price on the cross for them that he, that he paid for, for you. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Sometimes we forget that faith in the end comes down to really trusting that God's going to take care of all of it. And some of you think that you are judge, jury, and verdict for people, and you are supposed to cast judgment and criticism. And God's like, nope, that's not your job. That's my job. You're supposed to cast truth and gospel and love and grace and forgiveness. And if people don't do what they're supposed to do, God in the end will judge. God in the end will make everything right. You need to remember that. Look at verse number 11. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. And if you have bowed, like you have bowed, and you have prayed, and you've received Jesus, and he is yours, should your mouth then be criticizing others and condemning others? Is that what our mouths are to be used for as believers? No, it's to bring glory to God. And if you haven't bowed your knee yet, listen, you can bow your knee today and experience the forgiveness and the cleansing that Jesus brings. Oh, he wants to forgive you and oh, how he wants to make you right and how he wants to make you new. We talked a lot this morning about what God thinks about you. And so I want to, I want to say this and we're going to be done. Listen to me. Let me tell you what God thinks about you. Okay. He thinks you're the best. He knows all your stuff. He knows all your imperfections. He knows all your weird things. He knows all your quirky things. He knows how you pick your teeth. He knows all that stuff. He knows everything. And guess what he says? I think you're the best. It's what he believes about you. It's what he feels about you. He thinks you are worth so much. He thinks you're worth so much that he's willing to allow his one and only son to die for you, to pay for everything that you ever have done. Everything. He thinks that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He thinks you are his prized possession. Y'all know some parents, right? And I got that kid. Y'all are trying not to react right now because you're sitting next to him. But they got that kid. And you're like, only a mother's heart, right? Only a mother's heart could love that one, right? And that mama just walks around and she's just like, that one's mine right there. I love him. He's the best. And we're like, he ain't the best. <laughs> he ain't the best. Listen, God has that kind of heart for you. All your junk, all your stuff, all your sin, all your failure. And he loves you completely and fully, even though you're one of those people. You're one of those people Jesus died for. You're one of those people that God loves you're one of those people that God wants to receive. You're one of those people that God wants to walk with. You're one of those people that God wants to use. Oh, receive him today. Believers, let's follow him today. Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you for your gospel, which is amazing. And we thank you for just allowing us to know how you feel about us through Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.